Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell, and with me today is Austin Gill. Sup, sup, sup. And special guest today is Vladimir Novik. Hi there. Hey, Vladimir, as our, as our special guest today, would you mind introducing yourself a bit? Yeah, sure. First of all, I'm really excited to be here um, on this episode. Yeah, basically, I'm an independent consultant. I work for like, a bunch of clients doing different uh, other like, hands-on consulting or workshops, mentoring, teaching. You can find a bunch of my content online. So yeah, that's kind of lots of things. And mostly I specialize in web, mobile, a little bit of VR, AR, IoT as well. So kind of buzzword. Right. <laughs> Very cool. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. JSRemoteConf.com. How long have you been in web development? I think since the browser wars, right? Netscape Navigator. <laughs> for, for, since then. Since, uh, since the age when... Uh, People argued about uh, like what will be the dominant language on the web, VBScript or JavaScript. So you're so, seeing it all. <laughs> yeah. Now the funny part uh, is like my my dad is uh, also like software architect, and we argued back in the day uh, about <laughs> JavaScript. Uh, like I argued about JavaScript being the dominant language, and he argued about VBScript. And every time I meet him now, I was like. I told you. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, no, Dad, it's going to be JavaScript. Get out of my room. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I saw while we were uh, learning about you outside of the podcast that you used to work at Hasura. Uh, would you mind explaining what Hasura does as we kind of get into our topic for today? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I used to work as a DevRel at Hasura. Like, I really like what they do, and I still like follow them and use them for for my clients and, and so on. Now, what Hasura does. It's basically it's an engine that can run on top of Postgres or like Postgres compatible uh, databases, and this engine auto generates GraphQL API from your either existing database or a new da- database, which is kind of cool. You don't need to write any like backend; everything is auto generated. Now the cool part is uh, this auto generated GraphQL API. It's um, applies to like the best practices and and so on. And also the engine has this like permission system and has an ability to connect to external like GraphQL servers, stitch GraphQL schemas together. It has serverless capabilities like triggering serverless functions and and way more than that. So it's kind of a go-to solution if you want to. uh, And it's open source, which is the best part of it, right? So let's say if you want to use GraphQL with your existing database or even like when you bootstrap a new project, you can just drop in Hasura, Postgres, and you get going in a matter of minutes. That's that, awesome. That's really cool. I got into like playing around with GraphQL a while back and Hasura, I learned about them and they've always been a company that's basically just been on my peripheral because, well, partly because their branding is awesome. They have that like character with this all over and just like whoever's doing their illustrations is just great. But I've always had kind of a a struggle because I haven't actually used it. 
I've always had kind of a struggle understanding where it fits into the GraphQL ecosystem. Like I've used Prisma and I don't know, Keystone and these other tools that kind of like generate a GraphQL API. And Hasura, if I understand correctly, they use like SQL databases to generate GraphQL schemas for you. And like, what's the, is there like a price? Like it's open source, but there's also a business behind it. It's kind of like, I don't know, maybe yeah, you so, can explain about that. Yeah, so it's it's kind of different uh, in a way from Prisma and all uh, like competitors sort of. So the thing is like, let's say with Prisma, Prisma auto, uh, like auto generates these schemas that you can use, but eventually you run your own server, right? Now, uh, now with GraphQL, there is a common problem. It's called like n plus one problem, and the idea is if you have um, n, um, if you have a query, and this query uses n amount of types, then typically you will have n amount of resolvers executed on the backend, so it will get to the po- point it can be like not that performant, right? Uh, and for that, there are solutions like Data Loader by Facebook and and bunch of others. Uh, now, Hasura treats uh, GraphQL a little bit differently. Now, the engine itself is a compiler. So instead of using like the common thing in GraphQL ecosystem, using resolvers, it actually compiles your um, GraphQL query, mutation, subscription, whatever, performance SQL statement that will be executed on top of Postgres. And it uses Postgres features such as like chaining transactions and so on to be like the most performant. So in a way, it doesn't even have these N plus one problem, which is also cool. You don't need to worry about like performance issues and so on. You basically, you don't need to, like with Prisma, you get a bunch of code, you just drop it in your server, you create your business logic and so on. Now with Hasura, you just run the engine and you already get everything, like all the GraphQL API, like basically you get the CRUD. Now, if you want to do business logic, you have two solutions. One is you can create your own GraphQL like resolvers on the side on a different server and stitch the schema to be uh, like inside Hasura, or you can use Hasura feature called event triggers, which will on database updates, deletes, inserts, and so on, it will trigger serverless functions that will do your business logic and pipe data back into database. So in a way, you get sort of like. As, well, not in a way, you'll get asynchronous uh, logic flow, uh, pausing synchronous when you use like station schemas. So you have like lots of capabilities there, but the major difference is that you don't need to like, let's say, create your node server and uh, like put the code in there. You have everything running from scratch. Uh, I hope it explains. Yeah, so you're, you're like, it's providing a lot of that sort of event-driven architecture. Yeah. Design. Yeah, that's so one thing that I also want to figure out, and I know that we're gonna we're gonna talk about a whole, a whole sort of bunch of different things. And you're not a, or you're no longer with Hasura, so all your thoughts are your own, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But something that I am curious about is like compared to Prisma. So I can like Prisma gives me kind of a UI that I can log into, and or I can I can give a UI to someone else on my team that's not running. SQL commands directly from, you know, their terminal. And I can give them this UI and they can add records or edit records or things like that in a relatively user-friendly, like it's not quite a CMS, but it's kind of close. Does Hasura have something like that as well? Yeah, definitely. 
the it's called Hasura console, and basically it has uh, four tabs uh, in this console. The, the first one is uh, kind of for introspection, so you have graphical ID inside the tab, so you can like query things, uh, use mutations, use subscriptions, and just look how the data looks like, basically. The other tab is data tab, which is basically sort of like PG admin. So you have uh, connectivity to database. You can view rows. You can edit uh, the whole schema in in the UI. You also can edit permissions to really like granular uh, control. You can say this uh, user group can access only this field in this column, like only this row, this column with this condition. So um, it also have this this granular control, and um, other tabs are remote schemas where you can stitch together different like other GraphQL servers, stitch, stitch a schema to, uh, together, and you can define connection between like uh, your local schema and and the other one. So it's sort of like a polar federation in a way, but mm. like you can do it through the UI as well. Uh, and uh, the fourth tab is event triggers, which I mentioned before. Whenever you trigger any change on database, then you'll get a serverless function executed. And it's up to you what to do there. So you have all this UI. Now, obviously, when you, you, you can develop things from UI, and, and you also can have migrations uh, pipelines. So let's say if you develop something locally and you change things in UI, you can enable writing migration files on any change inside the UI. So you can commit it to uh, uh, like your source control, and then basically your CI can run these migrations and apply all the changes and so on. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome. So if it's like the Prisma console, it's still a little bit, it's not quite like a CMS, right? Like compared to, say, a WordPress or a Keystone.js, those are more designed for people that are creating content within this sort of admin UI. And uh, the Hasura console is a little bit more like you still need some level of tech savviness to, like yeah. you're looking at a spreadsheet essentially, right? Not quite, but yeah, you need to understand. Like you cannot, like without tech savviness, you cannot define like granular permissions. You need to understand what's going on. That's right. It's, yeah. it's like not build, like, like it's not CMS like it's more uh, it's it's really convenient but you need to understand what's going on also yeah. you need to know like how to set up like foreign keys and so on you can do it from ui but you need to understand the concept you, like to, in order to connect between different tables you need to set like primary keys foreign keys set relations and so on yeah it's like a so it's like a, a sql gui yeah, exactly. With like on steroids with additional like uh, yeah, things. yeah. Plus all the GraphQL stuff on top. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, the user permissions that you mentioned, those are those are like granular user permissions for database users. Not like uh, if I have a schema of a user, I'm not doing like access control for my application, right? You can. You basically can limit to. Um, it's it's not to that because you have auto-generated GraphQL API, right? When you limit some user or user group access to certain column, that will basically remove, for this user, this will remove the possibility to query this column or remove the query itself, right? In a sense, you, you do limit, well, not in a sense, you limit the access to your GraphQL schema also, like a, the advised way to do things uh, is you, you have tables, right? 
you let's say you restrict all your tables for users, and then you can create SQL views, and you you give users access to these views. So in that way, you don't even give users an ability to like mutate uh, tables and, and so on. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Lindsay, you got any anything you want to jump in on? You were asking most of the questions I was thinking of. I was just thinking, it, this is a purely hosted tool, right? It's not something you could download and run locally on your computer. You have to go no. through hasura.com. No, you don't. You don't have to. Every everywhere where Docker Docker can run, you can run Hasura. Oh, so, okay. So you can run your locally, own instance of everything. Yeah. Now they have also these like business model of uh, like enterprise Hasura solution, which will basically. It will have the same as open source, but uh, on top of that, it will also have analytics, like team management, like for like administration purposes and so on. More like if you want to use it for, um, you know, large teams and enterprise and so on. But I'm not that familiar with enterprise solution because it was kind of released after I left and uh, like I haven't used the, the enterprise one. I'm still using the open source one, but yeah, you should check out the enterprise one as well, especially like if some of our listeners are thinking of you know using it for uh, like large companies and so on. That's awesome. With open source projects like this, it's hard to know. You know, some companies are like, yeah, it's open source, but the actual service only runs on our cloud, and so you got to pay to get in. But then there's some like it sounds like Casura. They have like the open source solution, and they give you a Docker file or a Docker Compose script or whatever, and you can just run yeah. that on your own. Don't even the like you can download the Docker um, um, or Docker Compose, but in a, um, I believe you also can download the binary itself. So if you want to play around with it, you can do that. And also, I mean, everything is open source, so you can you know contribute, play around, and it's written in Haskell, which is another cool part because I love Haskell and functional languages, uh, nice. but. <laughs> Now you got me interested. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of the I think it's the the largest open source Haskell project I think like f- today or something. I'm not saying like it's largest out of every like Haskell projects out there, but at least if we take modern uh, Haskell projects, I think it's the biggest one. Very cool. If I wanted to, I could just go to the the Git repo and download the Haskell code as well, right? Yeah, that's right. One more question on Hasura before we move on, because I, I think you know we can spend the whole day here. But have you have you used Prisma? Like, would you say um, if I'm a new user getting into GraphQL and I want some sort of you know, it, it's just really nice when there's a tool that handles all the resolvers and all the schema stuff for me and just kind of like bootstrap stuff. There's a lot of nice tools out there. Would you say that Hasura is your favorite or is the best? Or how how many have you tried? I think yeah, Hasura is uh, is my favorite, but mostly because um, it um, kind of removes the hassle of creating all the CRUD, right? And uh, whenever I need to write my business logic, I can do that, and like I can either write my own schemas and I use like a server for that, or actually like I try to run Hasura, run something like written with Prisma, Apollo server. AWS AppSync, which all of them basically has uh, GraphQL solutions, right? And uh, combine everything, like stitching schemas together inside Hasura, and yeah, it just works. So it's pretty nice. And actually, I know of companies that use Hasura 
not necessarily for um, you know creating a GraphQL API, but because of granular permission model. So what they do, they they actually have their own GraphQL servers implemented in, I think, even in different languages, um, and then they basically stitch the schemas together inside uh, the Hasura, and they have all the like permissions and access control because by itself it's. It's something it takes time to develop and, you know, like development time and resources and so on. Uh, so yeah, Hasura is definitely my favorite one. But like the question is where you, you come from. If you want to like play around with the like backend code and, you know, just like dive into the like fine-grained implementation and have these resolvers and everything. For even CRUD, yeah, definitely you can use Prisma. Uh, I'm not saying like anything bad about that because, I mean, they also have really good solutions. AWS AppSync is another really good solution for GraphQL, especially if you're interested not in um, SQL databases, but more in DynamoDB and uh, like NoSQL databases and uh, connecting things to like AWS Lambdas and um, stuff like that. But it's vendor-specific. So if you're working on AWS... Yeah, might be also good choice, uh, especially like with AWS Amplify and all the like CLI tooling and, and so on. So there is not no one solution for everything. It depends on your preference, I would say. But my will go for Sura definitely. Cool, cool. The serverless functions that you can trigger, can you edit those from within the Hasura console, or or are you just like managing them and you're actually putting the configuration somewhere else? It's basically you just put there URL of it. It can be even like your server. It doesn't necessarily have to be a serverless function. Basically, what happens? You have sort of a webhook, uh, and you send the event with all the data that was changed in database. It's sent to this uh, webhook. So the typical solution will be to use serverless functions, but you can definitely use this for your own server. And, and so on. And yeah, you need to like define it somewhere else. You need to run it. I believe either it's already there or soon uh, there will be sort of like a marketplace on Glitch that you can like have different basic uh, serverless functions that you can run. There was also a stream I did on Twitch with um, uh, Sean from, from Netlify and we did uh, like Netlify function uh, running as event trigger with Hasura. Yeah. Basically, you manage in different place. But uh, the, the, uh, the, the reason for that is mostly because you, you don't know what type of webhook it will be, right? So you don't necessarily know it will be in JavaScript, maybe it will be something in Go, maybe it will be something in Rails, whatever. Right, so you're not, you're not writing the functions in Hasura, you're just yeah. setting up webhooks, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Same, actually, same for the remote schema. So if you want to put inside your like GraphQL resolver, uh, resolvers or uh, stitching to get a uh, like different schema, you actually need to write it somewhere else and manage it somewhere else and put the webhook and then it stitches the schema as long as types are not uh, conflicting. If types are conflicting, then there will be an error, so you need to manage this as well. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. Moving on from Hasura, though, we are a view podcast. I'm interested in how how are we able to use all of this awesome stuff we were just talking about in view? What is your typical solution for that? 
So there is amazing, like the go-to solution is Apollo client and um, basically you have view Apollo package. So if you go to view Apollo, view-apollo.netlify.com, that will be basically the, the view Apollo um, that, that you can use. And y- you have different options to, to use that. First of all, you, you can use it as a component inside your template. Uh, and then you can use uh, the query, mutations, or subscriptions components, or you can use it inside your um, like JavaScript, basically using like dollar Apollo dot query dot mutate and and so on. Basically, with GraphQL, we have uh, queries, which is querying data. My name says uh, itself. Mutations are something for not necessarily only changing the data, but some either like operation or something that, that has to be done on the server, right? So something that you want to trigger, something you want to insert, delete, whatever. And subscriptions is basically, uh, they're working on um, uh, web sockets. And uh, the idea is to push data from the server to the client whenever the update uh, happened on the server. So that's that's the idea with the with subscriptions. Okay, so if if we have two people accessing the same record, one makes a mutation to change that record, we could potentially have a subscription that then pulls that new data into the other client and informs yeah. them, hey, there's been a change, your your data's out of date. Yeah, that's right. That That's why like, subscription is used. A uh, typical example is uh, if we think about uh, chat, right? And like real-time chat, some, somebody types something and you uh, put the data. Now, before subscriptions, the we would have the polling solution. So every couple of seconds, minutes, whatever you define, right, we will uh, rerun the query again and we'll get all the data. Now with subscriptions, we can simply subscribe to the data and whenever there is a change, we'll immediately have the update on the client. Well, that's awesome. One of the first applications I wrote that was a big hurdle we had to get over is how are we going to query the database to continually get up-to-date information or post notifications to people. We ended up using socket.io. That was before I knew GraphQL was a thing. So this is awesome. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, um, also like why like Hasura is my go-to choice for uh, GraphQL because it supports, uh, I believe, 1 million concurrent subscriptions, which is good enough even for like mid-size or even large-size projects. So That you was 1 million, right? Yeah, yeah, that's 1 million. So you don't need to worry about like basically anything. You have these subscriptions, they work. And even, uh, so there is this uh, concept that you can, with uh, with View Apollo or with Apollo in general, you can define that your connection will be over WebSockets. Like everything, queries, mutation, subscription, everything will be done through WebSockets. And uh, this is like not the performant one and not the best practice. Now the best practice is to use Split Helper that is provided by Apollo. And uh, this split helper will basically split the definitions, uh, like network definitions in a way, like HTTP link on WebSocket link. That, that's how it's called. And well, uh, basically, whenever we have any um, query or mutation, it will be done through HTTP protocol and subscription will be done through uh, WebSocket protocol. Now, because with Hasuri, I have so many, like, Reliability is high. You have one million concurrent subscriptions. You will see in lots of examples that everything is just done through WebSockets. 
because you, like with this amount of subscriptions working concurrently, you don't much care about everything done through WebSockets. But I would, um, I still prefer to use like whenever I need WebSockets, I will use them. Otherwise, I will use just regular protocol. So cool. Yeah. Well, what's and the default behavior? The so, default because you, you yeah. So you said you can use subscriptions or you can use traditional like uh, sockets when you need them or just regular HTTP requests. Uh, I mentioned that um, it's it's something different. Maybe I was not that clear. Uh, the thing is with um, with Apollo client, you can um, use HTTP protocol and then you won't have subscriptions, right? This is like the the go to. Whenever you set up Apollo client, you set up without subscription. You just have HTTP link. That's how it's called, and then. Yeah, you, you just have everything done through HTTP protocol. Now, whenever you add subscriptions, you can decide either everything, like queries, mutations, subscriptions, will go through WebSockets or like using, still using Apollo, right? Or it will go uh, through some kind of helper that will split uh, based on operation that you want to perform. So if you want to perform query or mutation, it will be passed through HTTP. And if you want to perform subscription, it will be passed through WebSockets. So this is, uh, it's um, kind of more, um, you have more, co- you need to write more code for that, but it's more, um, I would say, more correct solution performance-wise. With Hasura, I don't need to worry about that, though. You can just make everything work through WebSockets. So basically, you, you there's no out-of-the-box solution to support both. You'd have to write your own sort of helper to intercept the request that you're trying to make and see whether it's a subscription or the queries or mutation? You have the helper provided by Apollo, but okay. still you need to... It's it's sort of like... The helper is, is pretty simple. It just gets um, sort, of, sort of a predicate function that will define based on operation. And to, if it will return true, it will return WebSocket link. If it will return false, it will return HTTP link. So that kind of thing. In Apollo view, I was about to say React, mm-hmm. is um, our WebSockets secure enough so that if you're passing authentication tokens between the server and the client when you need to renew a, a token, is that a secure way to do that? Yeah, like um, the thing is with tokens, it's it's a different token, uh, like topic about the tokens, but yeah, I know tokens aren't necessarily secure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was about to say. Especially like if you're working with the JWT tokens, yeah. I actually wrote pretty long blog posts about like authorization in general and like authorization to authentication, even though like the example there I use React, but it applies to like any framework out there. Uh, the idea is mostly about the concept. So uh, if you look at lots of examples, and just like to explain in a nutshell, if you look at lots of examples, you will see that JWT token is stored in local storage, in session storage, in cookies, and, and, and so on. And I mean, like huge companies such as Auth0, for instance, they used this kind of practice for, for many years, until maybe a year ago or something. And this is the most unsecure way that you can do, like store things in local storage, because JWT token is not encrypted. It just needs to be verified, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it basically consists of three parts. It has uh, like the header, the body, and the signature. And the header is basically defines which algorithm of which algorithm it uses for hashing, 
And then you have the body where you provide all the data. Now, if this data is, you know, like sensitive, right? And you feel that your hash is kind of encrypted, it's not. That's the, the major part. And lots of people just put their sensitive data and they just send it over. Uh, and signature is something used for verification with the, with the server, right? The main idea of what I wrote in that blog post is that when you store JWT tokens, don't store them even in local storage anywhere except in your app, just like, like that, right? So if you open a different tab, basically, you will be sort of signed out, right? But to prevent this experience, there is a concept called refresh tokens. And to be more secure, these refresh tokens are sent as HTTP-only cookie from the server. So it's like a huge conversation. We can actually like talk like full episode just on that. So I won't like take the time to like go through that. But one of my picks for today will probably be this blog post. So if you're interested in security, probably read that. Yeah, but to your question about sending through WebSockets, it will be secure and it will be secure enough. I mean, like, yeah, you have dropped connections and so on, but a JWT token, usually the expiration is like 15 minutes or so, like the best practice. And uh, then when, when this 15 minutes end, ends, then you have like refresh token, basically you refresh your JWT. So does matter if you send in WebSocket, you send in HTTP, it's the same way of uh, the same level of security in a sense. Cool. I had another question. Let's see if I can remember it now. While you're remembering, no, I do have a comment though, is that that uh, blog post that you're referring to, actually before we were even, I mean, I saw it years ago, or I guess not years ago, I guess a year ago, because it was written mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. It, is, it is the best JWT um, related... Thanks security blog post like it goes into so much detail it's so good and thanks yeah i actually didn't realize that you were the one that wrote it so i just went back and looked it up and was like yep there's your little picture down at the bottom yeah and it is it's awesome (laughs) that was me yeah it's great i yeah i have it bookmarked and i still haven't properly implemented it but it's like anytime we're talking jwt like i just think of that post so it's great yeah i probably should like uh the thing is i'm doing like Twitch streams like with live coding and stuff. And like actually next week I will be doing like uh, live coding view, uh, like chat and view and, and GraphQL and Hasura and Yugabyte, which is another topic. I probably should do like a live stream about authentication, right? So just more explaining things, maybe answering some like ask me anything questions and so on. Yeah, yeah that, I, I will, will write cool. it down to, to do these kind of streams as well. I don't know. Some people go into like super high detail and make these applications that are like all over the place and cover all these different things. And I think the really good articles just or, you know, presentations or whatever, just focus on this one, like the bare minimum uh, start to finish, like everything that goes into it, but just focus around that one topic. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense because then you kind of cover everything, like every little detail of, of that topic. So that that yeah. makes perfect sense. One of the most popular pairings for Vue on the front end is Laravel or PHP on the back end. If you're setting up and running a PHP app, then why hassle with all the back end config? Instead, count on Cloudways. Cloudways provide the solution that will have you up and running quickly. They offer exceptional performance and reliability and 24-7 support. So your website or your web app, which is probably crucial to your business, will run in an environment designed for it. Go run it on Cloudways. If you use the code DEVCHAT, you'll get 30% off for three months. I got my uh, question back. I was going to ask, with 
GraphQL Apollo, normally the, the practice I see is people using Axios or something to make their REST calls inside of Vuex and then storing that data inside the Vuex store. Is that something you would also need to do with Apollo View, or is there another solution for storing that data that's more, so, more tied to the uh, GraphQL schema? So I, uh, I prefer uh, also like to store the data in Vuex store. So basically, whenever... Uh, so I have the Apollo provider, right? So I register this Apollo provider whenever I instantiate the view instance like I, on, on the top level. And then I will have Apollo available in every component, right? And then whenever I have a query, basically I can uh, just like execute an action on Vuex and then like mutation and the data and, and so on. So yeah, this is uh, something that I use all the time for like storing, especially when you have uh, Vuex store. But if application is mostly based on like everything is done on like with GraphQL, you not necessarily need to have UX store. You can just have just regular view instance, and then all your data will be basically brought uh, using GraphQL queries. Now there is a concept with uh, mutations, for instance. If you change the data, then you can tell the mutation to rerun specific query by the name, even if this query is inside a different component. So this is really convenient. Let's ima- imagine you have a page and you have a form, so you fill in uh, something, you execute mutation, and then you have a list of items that will be updated, right? And let's say you don't want to use subscriptions. Then you can just say, uh, say refetch query and uh, specify the name of this query, and uh, the list will be updated. So it's up to you. If you use Vuex for like different things, then you can use it with Vuex. If you uh, just everything is GraphQL oriented, all the data is GraphQL oriented, you can just use GraphQL without Vuex. Interesting. I remember following a couple people in React land talking about how they had issues breaking the cache in Apollo React. Um, like there would be a query and then the data would get stuck. They wouldn't be able to to get new data because it would just use the cache. There are a similar issue in Vue, Apollo Vue, is there a way to break that? So basically you have, like Vue Apollo provides your API to update the cache. So if, if I'm understanding the question correctly, so whenever you have, so the cache is all, it can be an issue, right? If you're not aware of that. So for, let's say for optimistic UI updates, or if you just need to, up, yeah, mostly for optimistic UI updates, you need to update your cache manually. And uh, you have the API to do that, so... That's not a big of a problem. Okay, or, so you, you could just insert the data yourself then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, you can just say, okay, this is like, you can just insert things. In, yeah, can just insert things in the, inside the cache. Okay, that would solve the problem. Mm-hmm. What, what does that uh, story sort of look like updating the cache manually? I ask while I look at my own code base because this is starting to be an issue on our end as well. <laughs> How to update the cache? Yeah, like, uh, so there's a lot of uh, overlapping conversation here, right? We're talking GraphQL, and we're talking Apollo, and we're talking Vue Apollo. And some of those things, like, are providing this information under the hood, and some of them are not, right? So, for example, a GraphQL query is not is not cached by default. Yeah. If you use Apollo Client, Apollo Client has its own built-in cache, yeah. And then that will run your queries for you, and then that will update their implementation of the cache. 
And then if you're using View Apollo, um, it's using that Apollo client under the hood and um, surfacing the methods to run the queries. And I don't use, we don't use View Apollo. I'm just using Apollo client writing the application, so I can't speak too much to what View Apollo surfaces. But I imagine they give you access to the cache. And you're yeah. saying that they also give access to update the cache. So I'm wondering what what like the actual code might look like. Like, is it a lot? Is it a little? No, it's a little. It's just a method update cache, and then you can just uh, now it, it can feel weird because you basically need to kind of read query in GraphQL format, and then you need to execute that. So the best way to and I'm looking it up if it explains there. So there is Hasura IO slash learn website, which basically it's not only Hasura related, it's a really good community resource for learning GraphQL in general. And it has a course on, uh, on view. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking it up if it's, yeah, it's still there. And there is like a bunch of things also about updating the cache. And basically through the course, it's like two hours course, like self-paced. And it has uh, everything that you need for updating the cache as well and, and so on. Basically, the idea is that you have, let's say you have a method. And inside this method, you can access $Apollo, we call mutate function. Let's say you want to have optimistic UI updates, right? So you have a mutate function, you execute a mutation, you execute like you pass variables and so on. And then you will have an update function, which will, uh, like inside this update function, you will do like store.read query and then store.write query, where your query is the actual GraphQL query. Because uh, Apollo caches the query based on its, I think, stringified format or something like that. So you need to read this query, update the data, and then write this query. That's that's the idea. Now, when I say store read query, store write query, I'm not. It's not Vuex store. It's something like just that's how, that's how it uses. You, you can name it differently, but yeah. So uh, I probably will include that the the like two hour course on that, and it also has these um, videos how to do that. So, like, also, like, the text and the videos of live coding and so on. And I'm not sure if they changed that. If they haven't changed that, it's me in these videos. If they, <laughs> if they, <laughs> yeah, because I recorded them for, for this resource. But maybe it's, uh, yeah, I'm not, like, I won't play it now, like, to see if it's my voice or not, because, uh, yeah. But, yeah, if you if you hear my voice during these videos, yeah, that then it's me. <laughs> Great. Well, I know what I'm doing after this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, when we spoke about like, authentication and we spoke about using GraphQL with you and so on, I will be doing that. So I will be doing the stream on Monday next week and will be, I believe, uh, yeah, 11, p- 11 a.m. PST. And this stream, I will talk about Hasura, Yugabyte, and, um, and Vue, obviously. And we'll, we'll build real-time chat up. I believe it will be stream series because I don't think in uh, in an hour we'll create everything. So it will be also a good thing thing to follow, like all the struggle to build building real time chat up from scratch. And we'll use Vue, we'll use Beautify, we will uh, use GraphQL obviously, and so on. And we'll add authentication as well. 
something I actually missing from the course that I did on Vue and GraphQL last year on Dev2. Uh, actually, another pick that I probably should send. While you're grabbing that for our listeners, the uh, episode was recorded a little bit in the past for you. Um, so there might already be recordings up of this live stream. But if it's continuing on, then it might still be happening in a new episode soon. So definitely check that out. And I think if, uh, yeah, I, I forgot about the fact it will be released, like not today, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I will link you to my YouTube channel with, uh, because it will be definitely there. I think it's this one. Here we go. This is the channel. And then I also need to send you the few course I have. And I'm planning to add something else on Udemy. And uh, yeah, I plan a lot of content this year. So stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, as a, as a community member, thank you for uh, providing all this learning opportunities for folks. Uh, I mean, I, I love it. Uh, I love teaching and I love you know when sharing the knowledge so people can use like best practices and so on. So real yeah. quick, as we're getting towards the end of our time, I know Vue 3 is coming out soon. Uh, I saw a rumor somewhere that it was uh, coming out this year. I was curious if you knew of any implication for GraphQL in relation to the new composition API that's coming out with Vue 3. Is there any, any impact with that that you've seen so far? So I think about the composition, like I really liked the composition API. I know there was blog posts about like uh, dark days of uh, Vue and uh, like how things going to change in a bad way, but I actually am looking forward for composition API because it will enable so much um, reusability and and like I actually really like that. Now, the implication that I see maybe on Vue or Paul and like I haven't seen actual you know RFC or like any issues on on Vue Apollo, but uh, I think components they have so they have a Paul query, Paul mutation components. I think instead of that, they will probably with the composition API. Uh, we'll have refs, and then in our setup, we'll, it will just provide us with refs, and our setup function, we can just use these refs or reactive, and, um, and then everything will be really smooth. In a sense, I think the API will change instead of having a Polo provider, it will be more kind of functional way, like you import these like helper functions that provides you with refs and then you run them in your setup. They will return the ref and that kind of way. But it's it's just my thoughts. I'm not sure that's how it will work. To a question, if there are like implications, it will be if it will be different. It it will definitely will be different. But I think it will be backward compatible as well uh, because also like with composition API, you can still use the old API and composition API. So it's not you need to rewrite everything, right? And I think it will enable more composition, like more um, faster code, maybe because of like tree shaking and and, and so on. But uh, yeah, who knows? And and regarding the like view three that will be released this year, we had about that last year, right? <laughs> yeah, it should. I'm I'm putting my money on it coming out well next week at ViewConf. Although listeners will, you know. By the time you you hear this, it will already have been announced. Put my money on the table. Yeah, well, I, I won't bet on it, but yeah, I also I, I will believe it will be announced because I mean, come on, it was it's already a year 
yeah, I think it's already a year, right? Since it was yeah. announced and it was said will be like uh, in summer and yeah, here, here we are. But there are a bunch of content on that right now. So it's definitely easier to get into Composition API. And um, yeah, I might run some workshop on Composition API when it will be announced. I don't know. I do yeah. this kind of stuff. I do workshops as well. So Yeah, it'll be people are saying the new Composition API, it's gonna, both the frameworks are going to eventually merge and they're going to call it Roo. Come again, you, you were breaking, the sound was breaking. Oh, <laughs> that was a bad joke. It was, uh, I was saying that with the Composition API, both uh, a React is, or Vue is starting to look more like React. And so eventually the two frameworks will just merge into one <laughs> called Roo. Yeah. I mean, even not with Composition API, right? You still have hooks, you have render functions. <laughs> so it looks more and more similar. Throw some JSX in there. Yeah. Into a yeah. So basically, and I actually really like that part of you because it's so like versatile. So if you come from React world and you used to write JSX and you write hooks and you write render functions, you can just write them in view. So that, that that's so cool. So that's why it's also like adoption of you in what what I see at least in like recent years, it's it's just expanding exponentially. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's what I feel. Yeah. So hey, before we close up, there was one thing on the state management that I, I was one question I had on state management in Apollo with Vue. And that is people that are using like kind of you know, dropping Vuex because yeah. Apollo client provides you with such a nice caching layer that you can use as your state management. What is your story around essentially watching for changes in your state? Let's say I have a, a nav bar that shows if the user is logged in, it shows their username in the nav bar. And then so the user is logged out to begin with, so it doesn't show anything, and then they log in. And once they log in, I, you know, the query comes back with the user, and then that's in the cache. And I want that user information, I want that username to be, you know, up in the nav bar component and then maybe in like a sidebar component as well. Yeah, that's why I mentioned I still use Vuex because I um I know like people use that there is also an option with the uh, with Vue Apollo to use uh, like Apollo link state, which is basically a kind of local state that you define also in GraphQL. And um, you have this like dollar client directive inside your um, JQL uh, tag, uh, tag template. You basically define your local state and then you have like everything inside GraphQL. But I still prefer to use kind of combination of Vue, of Vuex and uh, Vue Apollo. So it's my preference. And uh, exactly because of that, because of like watching the changes properly and so on. Yeah, I'm not using Vuex and I don't like <laughs> how it works, but I also can't justify bringing Vuex in just for the developer experience, you know? Well, um, yeah, it's, um, it's obviously it's arguable, right? I like the, the convenience Vuex because it's mostly... Uh, let's say I use, uh, like I work both in, in Vue and in React. And in v in React, I use Mobix and Mobix State Tree. And uh, in Vue, I use Vuex. And it's like the same paradigm in a sense. So uh, it feels like comfortable uh, in, in both. Uh, so 
that that's that's probably why I use it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the most common solution. Now, um, mostly when I come to a project and like to consult clients and so on, I have already something set up and that like UX is there for sure. <laughs> so sometimes when, and yeah, when I bootstrap everything from scratch, view CLI, then uh, UX is also like a go-to solution. But yeah, definitely there are like multiple solutions based on whatever your preference is. Austin, do you have any any other questions before we wrap up? Take that as a no. He's on mute right now. <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to add, Vlad? Sorry for the pun. Uh, well, uh, yeah, if you, if you don't have any questions, basically, yeah, I'm just really excited to be here and uh hopefully we will uh, it won't be the like the last episode i will be probably coming for upcoming episodes if this is fine with you we'll book some time maybe later on and uh we'll discuss uh there are lots of stuff to discuss maybe after view 3 will be released that will be a good time <laughs> to discuss the release and and you know the implications and so on yeah, that sounds great. We can have a battle of the APIs once you three yeah. in yeah. practice. Well, awesome. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Let's move on to picks. Vlad, since you are a guest, would you like to share any picks that you haven't already shared during your talking? So I shared the, yeah, the, uh, several picks. Uh, Another one that I will share is my Twitch channel. So as I mentioned, I will be doing a bunch of streams there. So I'll share it as well. Apart from that, I will I share my YouTube channel as well, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The learn tutorials, the the video course, the the blog post on authentication. Yeah, and apart from that, I just um, want to mention that I will be running online workshops probably next month. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure when it will be released. So uh, there will be dates for sure for online workshops. So stay tuned. There, my, uh, there will be on my website, which is which I will also share. By by the time it will be the podcast will be released, my website will be um, uh, kind of it's like in the rebranding process. And now, like my consulting company is called Vladimir Novik Labs, just because I think it's cool. <laughs> That's a good name, yeah. Yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, I will definitely have different like events for like streams and workshops and so on. And um, yeah, I plan this year to share a lot of content. So stay tuned. And um, yeah, that's uh, obviously another pick is View Apollo, right? So another link will be to check out Hasura. But I guess you already have it in the Hasura Learn Tutorials, but just uh, for the website. And uh, yeah, that's it from my side. Awesome, thank you. Austin, do you have any picks today? Ooh, never have these ready. <laughs> um, you know what? I just ordered a new keyboard. Um, let me see. If, 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 I clever 
foldable Bluetooth keyboard. I haven't received it yet, so it might be total garbage, but my friend has it. It came highly reviewed, and uh, I'm really excited to check it out. I'm kind of revamping my my home office a bit because um, I have a I have like this desktop sit to stand sort of situation, but I can't use it because so right now I'm typing on my laptop keyboard. So anyway, uh, it's this iClever foldable keyboard. It gets down into like the palm of your hand and it looks pretty slick and it's Bluetooth, which is great. Nice. Actually, if we are sharing also like uh, hardware tips, I have uh, uh, hardware picks. I have two more picks. So if there are listeners that are streaming or needs like really good lighting solution. I recently uh, purchased uh, Elgato Key Light, which is just awesome. So if you uh, need perfect lighting solutions uh, with like control from from the like uh, the bar um, and just like programmatic control and so on, you can. It's it's just amazing. I really love that. And another pick that I forgot to mention is also something I started to use recently. It's called Keyboard Maestro. And basically, it's um, it's a Mecca app that gives you uh, lots of like shortcuts. You can define basically any shortcut. Like to the point, you can say, when I click on Command Shift S or whatever, take this, open this application, take the application window, resize to this dimension, put on this part of the screen. Basically, you can do everything. You can also run Apple Script, Bash, um, Python Script, and uh, something else as well with it. So yeah, it's like really programmable. So you can shorten your time for like with uh, with hotkeys and, and so on. Awesome. I have two picks today. The first one is, first, the technical pick. Uh, I've been recently using the Brave browser, and I've been very happy with it. For those who don't know, it is based on the Chromium engine, but it includes ad blocking and tracking blocking. So you don't have to worry about installing any plugins or anything. And if you need to turn off the uh, that ability, it's just right in the navigation bar. You just click on their logo and click turn it to shields down to let tracking in. So it's been nice. The other is a children's book, although I've been enjoying listening to it with my daughter um, on my commute. It's called Confessions of an Imaginary Friend. The, uh, the premise is there's this boy named Jacques Papier thinks the entire world hates him except for his sister. And slowly he comes to realize that he's actually an imaginary friend and what that means for him. He has a bit of an existential crisis. It's been a lot of fun to listen to. Nice. Whoa. I say it's a child's book. <laughs> it it is a children's book. I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. more to, it's more uh, oriented towards parents, probably. Probably, but my yeah. my daughter has been thoroughly enjoying it, and uh, we've been pretending we have imaginary friends around now. Wait, so you've got imaginary imaginary friends. Actually, uh, Jacques has an imaginary friend at one point. So the, the imaginary friend had an imaginary friend. Whoa. Nice. So it's like the children's book similar as The Little Prince, which is like really, like it's not a children's book, but you can definitely read it to, to your kids, right? Right. Same idea. Nice. I will, I will cool. check it out for sure. Yeah, I'm going to second Brave. I use that. I switched to that as my developer browser. I still use Firefox as my main browser, but Brave has been really excellent. I really like that they have like a Tor client built in if you do like, if you really want 
sort of anonymized browsing. Yeah, it's pretty great. I switched off of Firefox primarily because of development. Uh, My laptop is 3,000 by 2,000 pixels, and Firefox made everything large. It didn't handle the the resolution very well. So I I either had to scale things down to 80%, which then messed up some CSS, or leave it really large. And I just decided I couldn't live with it anymore. Yeah, Brave Brave is a really good alternative to Chrome because it's the same like underlying engine. And uh, what about like extensions and such? You, do, you obviously don't have Chrome extension on Brave, right? All all of you the do. Chrome extensions work on ah. Brave. And that's oh, the other that's nice, nice benefit. Yeah. And you can just go to the Chrome extension store, whatever they call it, and just click install just like you would from Chrome. And then it installs on your Brave browser. And DevTools are basically the same as, as in Chrome? Exactly the same. Oh, that's uh, something I will probably also switch. <laughs> At least I will try for sure after this podcast. I'm I'm yeah. already on the website downloading it, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time that the podcast comes out, you will have com- completely converted. Yeah, probably. <laughs> one one piece I didn't mention about Brave is that um, in, instead of you seeing ads, you can choose to get their ads as notifications, mm-hmm. and when you do that, you are awarded with their cryptocurrency, the Brave Attention Token, or BAT. And that just goes into a, a wallet that's in the browser, from what I understand. And you can, you can export that if you want to. But then you can also tip uh, content creators. So I've set myself up on Twitter, GitHub, Reddit, and my personal website to receive tips. Not that anyone's done it yet, but I've set it up. Um, so that if I'm going go to go tip you right now. Awesome, thank you. Um, so that if anyone wants to, you can contribute to a specific creator using this token that you're getting essentially for just browsing the internet. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, nice idea. Uh, especially like what, what I like about that, that it works with all the extensions and basically you have the same dev tools. So, and um, yeah, ad blocks and, and tracking is the painful part, right? So you, you have these extensions, like in Chrome, you use these Extensions for AdBlock, and they, um, like, I'm not sure they, like, I'm pretty sure they tracking that as well and using this info for something else. Uh, so. I would not be surprised. Yeah. Basically, all ads business is kind of the, the dark side of the internet, right? It's true. Yeah. Hey, hey, Lindsay, I, I don't have enough bat to tip you anything significant, so you're just getting one bat, which is 22 US dollars. Boom. Do- dollars? Wait, it went oh, up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Point <laughs> two two U.S. dollars is twenty two cents. There you go. Nice. I don't have enough. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, man. I I don't have enough that to give you anymore. That's okay. All right. So thank you, Vlad, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hope everyone enjoyed listening at home. If you have any interest in watching the rest of our episodes, you can find us on viewsonview.com. Uh, we have a Twitter account as well, or on devchat.tv. Hope to. Have you as our audience next time. Have a good day. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.